drinking started down when I knew it was in Pensacola, Florida, when I knew I was going to get a regular commission, 1935. Never hard to get in those days. You only had eight of them out that first time, Winkle Commission. And I was told that I was going to have one because I passed time examination. Anyhow, the first cocktail party, I figured I was at the opposite end of the United States as far as away as I could get to my relatives, but they don't feel this way about them anymore. I know they did the best they could, and they still do. And uh, those that aren't here, God bless them, too. But uh, I figured, well, I'm an officer and a gentleman, and they have this social system here, and so that first cocktail party, I made a statement. A lot of statements I made in the past come back to me now. And this one was, uh, I don't know why I stayed away from this stuff for so long, because this was made for me. And being a person that was never satisfied with anything he had, this did what I wanted. And as I made these frequent trips, the evening wore on into the bathroom. While I was washing my hands, I looked in the mirror, and I became more handsome. And I was taller. Always want to be taller. And I was a little bashful around women. But uh, liquor fixed that. Because uh, being a blackout artist from the start, I got the tail the next day that I didn't care who's got her eyes snapped that night. <laughs> At first I thought, fellow classmates, of course, I provided a lot of laughs to the boys in the service, and I get uh, others too. But there were some people that were trying to help me. They didn't know how. And they would tell me these things. And some senior officers, too. I'd offer that in a friendly way. And, uh, got the drinking to slow it down, you know, to have a few, and like everybody else, have a good time. So I thought at first they were trying to ruin my fun. And they were lying to me about uh, what they said I did. And I know, uh, right off the bat there, I mean, matter of a few weeks, I started telling myself, well, now I'm not going to have another drink until Saturday night. And a little later, I, I always did that where somebody could hear me because I wanted them to know that I was uh, given force doing something for other people. And then pretty soon when the fences got a little graver, I said, I'm not going to take a drink for a month. And then as time wore on, I got to the point where I said, I'm not going to take a drink for a year. And at the tail end of this 20 years of periodic drinking, I said many, many times, I'm never going to take a drink as long as I live. So let's get back to the week deal. I didn't make that either. <laughs> long about Friday night, say, well, I'm a great guy to talk to myself. Say, well, I like that this is Friday afternoon. I'm smarter than the rest of these pilots around here in cadets. I know that. Also, stronger. I don't know why in the dickens I can't take a few beers. The rest of the boys. So I talked myself into it. I'd have a few beers, and then my favorite expression came up, this stuff floats me. <laughs> it never floated me, because I can drink gallons of coffee, gallons of water, gallons of anything that pours. But what was wrong with this beer was that it wasn't strong enough. So then I would say it floated me, and I would switch to my favorite bourbon and soda. And I remember having a good time. Sometimes I'd even remember some nice sights. And then I wouldn't remember. And I would wonder what in the heck I'd done the next day, you know, and I'd the first picky eye. Sorry. 
thinking. But I found out people were willing to tell me. <laughs> the regular commission that I told myself I wanted to all through college. Before I took this examination, I apparently didn't want that at all because I abused something frightful. I finally wandered back to Pensacola, uh, 1940, as an instructor. And uh, I was married. You're not supposed to say anybody else an alcoholic, but you have your opinion. Uh, so, my first wife thought I was an SOB, and I thought she was one. Then we figured that if we got rid of each other, that would end the drinking. Well, near as I can tell, and I haven't done any checking through the last eight marriages, uh, except, well, not mine, other hers. Uh, it didn't do me any good because I drank more than ever. And along about 41 there, some of these nasty people, San Diego, Oregon, Station, Quantico, Virginia, and so forth, wrote letters, mind you, into the Commandant of the Marine Corps and told him that I didn't pay my bill. So, I was instructed by the Commandant to send him a letter each month. And on the first one, he wanted to refer my old money and ask them how much. And each and every month thereafter, I was to put down how much I was paying on each one of these. Now, previous to that, I never found it difficult to lie verbally because I figured most people never remembered. But I found out it was just as easy to lie in writing. Those bills were coming down something terrific. Actually, I was proud of the results there. I, uh... <laughs> but actually, they were getting higher. Well, one thing, uh, being a regular officer, you're obligated for $2,500 worth of uniforms, a blow dress, and all that jazz, you know. And uh, I think I paid 40 or five bucks, I think, in uh, six years. But... <laughs> When they were, I had, to have, I had to go somewhere, and they didn't have these, uh, terrific missiles that are going around the moon at that time, or I'd have gotten aboard one of those, believe me. <laughs> but, uh, I was solving, I was looking for an answer. And, uh, so I remember I cashed the check there in a San Carlos hotel. And they were very lenient with, the uh, regular officers because they knew that they could always get a hold of it. And, uh, just a few days before payday, and I wasn't one of those methodical chaps that kept his check stub straight. I mean, I knew darn well that it was gone, but uh, I wrote out a check for 20 bucks and they cashed it. And by the time they got a hold of me, I know it would be payday, and I thought it was an oversight, and uh, they had their money. That was my routine. I knew my answer was inside of that bar there, in that air-conditioned bar. And somebody said, boy, aren't you lucky? He said, see, a recruiting pilot to go to the change. And I said, well, how can you get out of the service and whatnot? I said, well, don't talk to me. I said, I gotta have a couple of three doubles here before I can think. Then the guy talked down and told me, I said, where is this recruiting man? Upstairs in such and such a suite. Up I went. And man, that guy heard the most story about the most fantastic pilot in the world. That was me. And so I was talking to one that uh, was fantastic too, because he was a retired Air Corps boy and he was in uh, Lafayette at the drill and he wore his wings around with the big and gold. I can see that face to this day. Look like a rubber sponge in the sides and the hands. He told me that there would be men 
Waiting us to have 20 years' combat experience. Oh, I thought only in mind because I thought I was an aviation lover. And so I was trying not to be wrong because 18 years ago, I'd have to be under a tombstone. And then he said, we'd be flying against people who wore thick lenses. And we're not mechanical like the we boys were. But incidentally, he was going to lead one of these squadrons, too. And this guy, I got my guy, he's still back in gay Paris drinking champagne and uh, brandy with uh, Jerry. Anyhow, part of what he said had to be right. Oh, another thing which is very important in my character, that, uh, of course, we're getting 500 bucks beside that good salary cycle we got in the service for knocking down Japanese planes. Now, we were in war with Japan then. And he said these would be unarmed transports, nine out of ten of them. Well, that wasn't about me, you know, picking up money like that to pay off five of So, when he, we stayed two weeks here, I was in the third detachment that went over, and uh, they weren't supposed to uh, tell anybody anything but what to uh, put on a passport. These were made up in Washington, D.C. This is a Roosevelt idea. A missionary is what they were. And we went around all these bars. We told every bartender missionary, anybody sitting on the stool. So uh, they, they knew we, we were drunk, but uh, I guess they also knew we were nuts, too. Maybe I should just speak for myself. But... But on the boat there, we saw it was all a secret. Here was this recruiting air corporal boy retired, copy at Escadel Wing. Had his uniform on, copy at Escadel Wing down here. The other wing's up here. It's supposed to be a secret. Down there on the boat, shaking hands with us, tears coming out of his eyes, and running down over those wrinkles. Uh, I won't use that word I use as a bag, but like crocodile tears. And he says, he's awful sorry, but uh, he's not going to be able to go with us. And I didn't know that was the last group who was ever going out of there. I just knew it was the third. Anyhow, I got over in a league where we had no rank. They couldn't court martial me, although people threatened to. And I noticed numerous things while I was over there. The only reason I did is because being a drunk, I knew I was dead wrong. And if I'm wrong, i got to find out how everybody else is wrong. And boy, I guess I did a beautiful job of it. And whenever I argued, I got sick. And I had some duties over there. I got along uh, very well in a league like that without discipline, even though I was a pass-out drunk. I'll just give you one of my things. I know one night somebody, and I, they had every reason in the world to beat me up at any time. But uh, one night somebody did it, and I didn't remember or didn't know who did it. The next morning, I woke up quite early, and I asked who did it. And it was a chap that was found asleep in his cop. And so I thought, uh, well, my psychology was is to have people fear you, and then they won't uh, bother you at those inopportune times, and I'm unable to fight. Not that I disliked it, I loved it. And uh, so I kept this fellow off the top, and uh, of course he never did get to his feet. And uh, I'm sorry to say I walked on his face rather severely in a few other places, but anyhow, people let me alone when I was walking around black out. I was teaching him a lesson, I told myself. I know a little lighter side there, uh, one of my pilot friends over there, a wonderful guy. I went over to see him at his uh, apartment, and I had a lovely clean pool there, and one of his newer friends there insisted that I take a drink. This was a short time ago, and I said, no, I'm not drinking today. And this guy kept on, and so Charles Smith says, he says, for God's sake, don't insist. He said, uh, well, I, I like the way Greg is now. He says, I remember... 
when we're sitting in that adobe bar there and something kind of, and he said, we'd be lying politely to each other, you know, spinning yarn. And he says, that big, thick door would shutter and the adobe would fall off around the door jam. Because we knew what was coming in because he said, this guy never opened the door with his hand. He just kicked him in. And he'd come in with his hair down his eyes. I don't have to worry about him much anymore. And, uh, said he knew what he wanted. He wanted to fight. And he says, he didn't even know who his friends were. He'd fight everybody. Of course, the big fight out of fighting was, was booze. And, uh, I think that was basically the cause of why I brought everything up. I left this, uh, group a month early after selling off and all. I'm not sorry I did that. But it's just the manner I did it that I shouldn't have chosen that way. But that's neither here nor there. That's all gone. That was what I was like. I got back home. Word was sent ahead. They tried to keep me out of the Marine Corps. So I parked cars for a couple of months in the same job I had when I went away to college in Seattle. That's all I could get. So I decided to uh, go over everybody's head so I... Went down to one of the state liquor stores, got a couple of bottles of bourbon. Was well into the second one when I had a three-page night letter masterpiece I call it composed to the Secretary of the Navy. And when I read that off over the phone, it was no strain. Not with a good fifth and a half in me. Not that amount has anything to do with it, the way you feel and think. But I got results. I guess they must have kicked aviation headquarters around there and, uh, so I put such things in there. Understand there's a war going on and nobody's doing very good today. And there's only so many aces and incidentally I'm one. I have six planes. And I understand the United States, uh, stands up for it. It's, uh, the deals it makes, especially the ones in the writing. In case you're interested in mine, you'll find it in Admiral Limit's secret safe. But I'll be reinstated without loss of presence. And this is one of Roosevelt's deals. So I did. They got it in two days. And, uh, when I was, uh, I got four days delayed to get into San Diego, and I was thanking my lucky stars when I was on that train that they didn't ship me to Washington, D.C., because they would have killed me if I had flown in there. I got overseas. There's words sent ahead there to keep me out of the squadron. But again, I finally figured a way to have one commanding officer there who was up for some replacement squadron. I, I didn't really care much about it, except I knew he had a case of whiskey under his cap. If I barged in there, he would offer me a drink, and I would engage him in conversation. Before he knew it, I would have a whole bottle of his whiskey in me. And this happened, and I told him how he could have a squadron overnight, and that's how this black sheep squadron was formed. Because he was a man that didn't go, go back on his word that he made the night before when he was drinking. Because I wasn't that type. I was the kind of guy that wanted to help everybody. And uh, I promised things to everybody, including Mary, that, uh, that, that didn't uh, I mean, stuff that I knew would drop in the future and I wouldn't have to fulfill. But I did sincerely, uh, and that was my way of wanting to help people. The only trouble was, anybody who accepted my help was, was uh, like the kiss of death. And the reason I wanted to start him because I knew it was easy enough to shoot down a few planes, and I could live the life I wanted. I was the type of person that hated always, regardless of where I was along the ladder, the next two ranks above me. <laughs> and out in the Marine Corps, South Pacific, that happened to be the 10th Colonels and Colonels. But I found it very easy to go around them and over them. I don't mean to say that all these people were right and I was completely wrong. It's a good thing I was a drunk in many instances and did go around them and over them. But I, I wasn't honestly doing anything I did for uh, the democratic way of life or anything else. I was doing it strictly for myself. The reason I wanted a squadron is because 
I was on top of all with the Grand Colonel and Colonel. I was calling the manager. I could deal directly with generals, the ones I liked. Another thing, I had the right to pick my own flight surgeon. And I had a wonderful fellow and gentleman who knew the difference between poisonous alcohol and non poisonous alcohol. There were some flight surgeons who didn't believe their boys could get drunk. And so they kind of limited the free Lee John Brandy. I don't mean to run down that name, Lee John. I, I love this stuff. Uh, but anyhow, my flight surgeon got what others didn't want. So we had a very good supply. Nobody got a rub down. We drank it all up. Anyhow, my routine finally developed. Of course, there's another little item there. That we got this uh, brandy. Whenever you were out in a combat zone and saw enemy planes, you didn't have to necessarily engage them, but you just see them in the air, and that was supposed to be quite a shock to the nervous system. Actually, I guess there was to many. But, uh, seeing the angry red meatballs, as we call the Japanese and things. But to me, I could see those planes anytime, whether they were there or weren't there. And, uh, anytime you were part of seeing them in the air, you got free brandy when you got back in the nation. So that was my reason. And, well, after I got that spot, in fact, every night I drank myself to, to sleep. And when I retired, I wasn't getting up anymore until I, uh, got real early in the morning and somebody was assigned to wake me up and I'd give them instructions and threaten them if they didn't. They always did. But anyhow, I took the mattress off this pot of mine, and these pots pulled out pots, you know, with a big basket leaf canvas. And I take the mattress off in the blanket. And if somebody didn't put a mosquito net over me, I didn't have one. The mosquito didn't bother me. Because I couldn't feel them. <laughs> Anyhow, the reason the mattress and the, and the blanket were off this thing was because when I retired, I wasn't getting up anymore to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and the loose basket leaf there left everything go right through it. get up the free long takeoff. I have my crew instructed. They came in, shaking no good. They threw water at me, and then when I was trying to swing at them and roll them off this spot, they would get out of the tent. I crawl out my hands and knees most of the time. Sometimes I had my kitty shorts on, most of the time nothing. I'd get out there beside my tent like a dog on all fours, and I'd look up about a flap of where the mess hall light was. But I didn't see one light, I saw. Three, four, five, or six sometimes to carry. I knew I'd kill myself taking off in the dark if I could see more than one light there when I, when I knew there was only one. So I've taken the precaution. We don't have very unique in taking precautionary measures to get us on the road so we can get to our job, whether we're a bookkeeper, a painter, or, or anything else. And what I'd have done was uh, get the ground crew down there to take only 55 gallons of gasoline drum and a settling torch right around the center and make a nice little cup. And this was parked under the eaves of my tent. And in early in the morning, our water feels awful cool, you know, I mean, water. So I look at these lights, and I crawl over, and I duck my head and shoulders up here and go, brrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrr
I got down on January 3rd, 1944, and I, I was pretty badly shot up, but my wound healed up, even though I was severely shot up, much faster than many others who just had scratches and died of infection. And I know when I first came back and was on a bomb for a drive, I looked at the people, the and I said, the reason mine healed up so rapidly was because I was in such beautiful shape before I got down. Change that story and many others. I know now the reason that uh, my wound healed up because I was fighting booze so hard that uh, nearly taking it away from me uh, gave uh, my body strength, and that's why they healed up. By Christmas time, we got permission to uh, sing Christmas carols. The guards like to hear us sing. I was in Japan by then, well, I was after six weeks. So I started feeling real saintly. Yeah, it's almost a year off, too. So then, uh, while well, some of the prisoners were talking about how their mother used to cook and whatnot, I was around telling these characters, you know, it'll only be a week or so, and I would have been on the wagon a year. This time, I knew John well I was going to make it. <laughs> they looked at me like I was completely back. Shook their head. Well, who's to say? They're right. Anyhow, I didn't quite make that year, not even in the Japanese prison camp. The head guard there in the camp asked me if I was mind staying up and keeping the bar going for the New Year's Eve feeling. Now, it seems at midnight every Japanese life starts, regardless of when he was born during the year. And they prepare food all day, special food and everything else for this. Now, he told me to give me a package of cigarettes. That I love. I just love to smoke. I've been beaten several times just for smoking cigarettes when I wasn't supposed to camp. I didn't miss a drink. Well, I mean, I knew I couldn't have one. Anyhow, he came in with a wooden case with uh, some bottles in it, and I recognized it as baggage. And my this kitchen was flashed out because the uh, planes had been over. Uh, this was Christmas Eve, uh, start of 44. I mean, start of 45. So I knew I was supposed to keep these warm at a certain temperature, and I could have my tea and smoke. Package of cigarettes to my content. I was all alone in that kitchen. I had no intention of taking any of their baggage because I knew darn well that uh, I probably, on such an occasion as this was, I probably have been shot or at least beaten to death, or I would have died, and I knew what both felt like. And I was just as happy as I've ever been in my life up to that date, sitting there all by myself, thinking when the war be over and smoking cigarettes, sipping tea. And it was warm in there because our cells weren't uh, heated. Perfectly content until. The guy came in for the first refill. Little guy, the night fella. Polly boy, as they call him. And he'd never been anything but nice to us. And I immediately resented that little squirt. Why? Because he was had half a jag on. I was feeling very happy when I could smell his breath. And then I started telling him what a bunch of no good to I'd get away with this guy, I knew it. And I said, back home, they give us all the we want to drink every day. So that's all. And he says, well, I'll get beaten if I just stop giving me any baggie. And uh, I'll step on. He says, well, hurry up and get your cup. And we were issued three Utah Bill Kinwell cups. One was called a rice bowl, a little larger container, and then a soup bowl, which is still larger. And these I had in the corner of the kitchen there, in the dark. And I went over and I never even cut that cup. That was out of the question. I did finger momentarily that rice bowl, and I thought, that I was I'm going to get another chance. First class, I got the soup bowl back. Poor little guy's eyes popped right out of his head. I guess I practically sobered him up, and he uttered a Japanese expression, which means a lot. He said, Ah, oh, Tom, 
And uh, I said, well, uh, Mr. Thompson be your guide. Just put you on in there. And he put a little over half straw, and he caught me to keep us in the dark and get it down as fast as I could. And if I got caught, I could tell him where he got it. I uh, hand was around his shoulder, and I said, we're friends. I said, you can count on me to the end of this earth. And I got that thing down, not because he wanted me to get it down in a hurry, because I wanted to get it down in a hurry. It was just a couple of drops to get that down. So I was waiting for a warm bowl. Lighted a fresh cigarette and sat down there. And I started standing on these guys mentally. I thought, well, what the heck these squares doing? There isn't even any kitchen. This junk. That bowl didn't come. At least I thought it didn't. Then during the evening, I lost track of time, but uh, several other guys came out and some of the real nasty ones. But they weren't nasty to me anymore, and they didn't have to walk in there. When I'd hear their footsteps, I was right over there, and I had that blackout curtain open so they could walk in. My arms were around some of the real rough ones, too. And I got stacky out of everybody that came in there. What a bum. And then I thought, well, by gosh. These guys, what kind of a party is this? So they're not coming out here anymore. There's no track of time. So they might stay here. I've been accused of being drunk by my wife, my bosses, many officers, officers of law, everybody else. I, ne- I, I was swear to man, I was never drunk. To me, when I was drunk, was when I wasn't even, I wasn't even drunk if I was laying on the floor. As long as I could see you, drop you, I was not drunk. But when I was blacked out and couldn't remember, then I would admit to being drunk. But uh, anyhow, I was getting along this day there, and uh, so the thought that I said I would never do in my mind, I did. I thought, well, these players are never coming out here, so I'll leave out myself to a bottle of their whiskey. I mean, they're savage. And I guess I must have uh, demolished one whole bottle. And then something happened, which was unusual, because what could have happened, I could have passed out right over the chaser with uh, Sadie. But I didn't. I, I thought I heard a, a voice, a rain, and discussing myself. as boy, can you no good line song, so you've always said you want to sleep warm one night. Anyhow, if you look up well enough alone, you'll stay warm all night with a sack in it. Go and go to bed. And I was in the process of answering myself. Remember, I leaned forward on the stove and steady myself, my right hand went out to steady myself. And I saw steam coming up off my hand there, so I had to get that off. So I put my left one down and got the right one up. Then I saw steam coming off the other one. And then I staggered out, never slipping down in the ice and snow. But it wasn't cold. And I don't, I don't think there was any guard on duty. Anyhow, I got in there. I didn't have to wrap, wrap up in my cotton blanket uh, because I'd have stayed warm all night. I got permission to sleep in the next morning. But of course, that didn't mean anything to me. I heard two guards arguing. Trotsky, the head guard, said he could sleep in. The other one says, yes, but Trotsky. Uh, boy, boy, this is like home or any other place. They always noticed something. So I got up and bowed politely and asked for permission to go to the bathroom. You have to do that there. And I went out and took this pump of cold, ice cold water out and back and pumped it all over my head and shoulders. And that winter weather tried to get by so that they wouldn't find out. I'm sure some of those guys knew, but they were just nice enough guys not to turn me in because they didn't want to see me speaking with it. So, even in the Japanese prison camp, I mentioned this merely for those of you to realize that the, the boys in the sheriff's department or the police department, they haven't got a chance with it. The Japanese guards can't do it. You gotta be that desire within the person himself. And if you're, I mean, your life is, or I mean, you think you is, you can't do it either until you want to. And vice versa. As you talk about periodic drunks and the, the guys that drink straight through, there's no difference in drunks. There's only two kinds of drunks, male and female. <laughs> After the war was over, 
I decided that, excuse me, I decided that I wanted to be a different person because the first indication I got was that whiskey didn't go down so well. Everybody was offering me water glasses full because I guess they remembered how I drank and of course I was never declared as a prisoner. Everybody thought I was dead. They'd even given me the Medal of Honor posthumously and the Marine Corps dug up a Navy cross to go along with the Executive Department's decision. They'd even put out Marine posters on me as a recruiting thing. And they'd even written nice stories about me. And uh, they'd even dedicated a park. Uh, really a great guy, a great tactician, you know, and all this. Point. Nothing too good for you on your dad. <laughs> but the little fake they made is putting this in writing, and, uh, you know, and. They were offering me and showing me all these beautiful things written about me. The whiskey didn't seem to go down. Of course, it was quite natural. I appreciated all this good food, you know, like ham and eggs and steaks and whatnot, which I hadn't had for 20 months. And, uh, of course, I didn't stop to realize that I had my share of food, but, uh, because I didn't know any better. But I'd be back to my bourbon again. But I thought, like, I don't care for this stuff anymore because I would leave it to go to the food. I was eating about 10 times a day. And reading these stories, boy, oh, that old head got out here. Wham. And I thought, well, my gosh, they kind of changed their tune and calling me a drunken bum uh, saying I was a great guy. And I thought, well, my gosh, this is awful nice. I'm going to, uh, if they finally realize it, I'm going to do this exactly right. But there's only one thing I, I had a reservation there because I started growing a mustache. I had to hang behind something. No offense any to wear a mustache. But that was it for me. And I came back home. I got along fine for a while. I... Signed to an endless bond drawer, and I did quite well. I guess I must have sold a lot of bonds around the fan. And then uh, some of these people I promised to marry and whatnot, they, uh, they weren't the type of people, you know, that ordinarily taken me up on it. Uh, but then they thought that money went the same and uh, so forth, and uh, But uh, my troubles were mounting, and uh, so I got more nervous, and I got my belly full of food, and then I got back to my drinking, and uh, ordinarily I waited till the last talk was over during the day before I started blacking out. All except the last talk I gave was a trip about my life. I never finished anything. And I was in Portland, Oregon. And uh, one of the committee there says, why don't you have a few drinks? So you can really give them a drop, the blood and guts. Uh, I thought that was a good idea. Uh, the guy who was filing with me was my intelligence officer over to now Keith Parker's assistant down in uh, L.A. Old Fox, he's going. He tried to talk to this committee again, but uh, they said, no, nah, he's going to throw a shot. So I drank with the committee until it was time to lead me into the group. It wasn't quite as many as we had here. It was about 300. But there were the wealthiest people in Portland, and this was an extra deal that arranged. And I started out, and I told them that uh, what they wanted to hear me talk about, I knew. It was about how I was wounded in the leg while I was shooting them down on my back. 40,000 feet to keep the blood from flowing out of my body. Wasn't that something about that? I was going to say the world couldn't have been one of the ones for slobs like you that supplied the money. And I went. Well, that, that was one time where nobody ganged up at the speaker's table and kicked my hand. Oh, they ran out of that place. First opportunity. Anyhow, that ended up otherwise successful bonds were dry for two and a half months with a match. I think they're still talking about it because I occasionally run into somebody from Portland. Dying doesn't dim it down any. Uh, I might add here, the Marine Corps finally got rid of me gratefully. I was shot up, so they didn't have to retire me as a cycle patient when I was on it. And they were getting rid of all the excess then, and I was certainly excess. 
because uh, at the time there, I kept the Marine Corps headquarters busy. They say 48 hours and a 24 hour day trying to find out where in the devil I was and uh, what was going on. And the newspapers were short of the material. The war was over, and I guess I was helpfully supplying them. That's up. Boy, drunk can sure do it. I couldn't remember what I promised to do or where I was supposed to be or anything else. Then I set the business world on fire. Big jobs, I lasted about, I think, four months, the longest, any of them. I did, a, I did a hell of a job when I first started. Got people mad at me that had to work alongside of me because nobody wants to work at a fast pace. That's like running them the mile at a hundred yard gas station. I realize now why I did that, not to get people angry at me. I knew that uh, plus all my jobs involved in selling. Seeing that I could sell anything that wasn't any good. And of course, when you're in that type of produce, uh, they'd hire the devil himself. Anyhow, the reason I did this is because I knew a big fat drunk was coming up and uh, I'd already had a couple and uh, and they forgive you if you're, you're bringing a company some business for a few drunks and uh, high expense accounts and whatnot. But when I figured the handwriting was on the wall, boy, I'd go in and resign. It happened in all cases. And in all except one, they offered the better of my monetary enumeration, and all of them they offered the better of the conditions. But I couldn't resign this like a normal human being. I had to go in and put on a show. In other words, I said, uh, the only reason I'm telling you this is because maybe you'll think the next guy comes along better. And I, when they offered me this, I said, no, I can't do that. I said, maybe you don't know me very well. But when I make up my mind, I stick to it. Wow. Anyhow, that's the way I left. But I finally found my, my job. I stuck at this for six years. I was up here calling, too. The last week I was up here, I don't remember any part of it. But, uh, the alcoholics find a place under the bridge, they're down here on, what is it, Howard Street, or whatnot. It's an amazing thing. Uh, people think that uh, all of them are down places like that. They don't realize you can be the president of a bank or, or numerous other important jobs and still have the same disease. But it's so true. Anyhow, this was with one of the national boys. And three days after I started there, I found a job that you didn't have to report in in the morning. Now, that's very convenient for a guy, just like the old club out in the top of the city. Sometimes I had a little trouble getting the old eyeballs back where they looked halfway decent and putting lotions on my face and all this stuff, you know, that looked halfway as respectable. And uh, not having to report in, but not there a couple times over ten days before they heard from me. No price during this job with a delay because I thought this was my job. No, another thing, this expense account was twice the size of my salary, and then I didn't have to listen to my wife saying that I was spending any of her salary on food. Of course, it was a work job, and any time she got a call for a guy takes it down, borrow 600 bucks, I don't know why I took that figure from the Bank of America, from the bank. Why? Well, I didn't know how many checks I'd written. So, the expense account wasn't enough. Anyhow, I figured they were about ready to relieve me from this wonderful job. I figured this was my true career because being paid for drinking, God, what could be sweeter? So, first I went to a psychiatrist. My wife suggested this, but I was uh, intrigued with the idea. And uh, I went about six months to twice a week. And I was thoroughly intrigued with this man. And I was sober every time I reported over there. And he was equally intrigued with me. Made me feel very important, much like the first two heads that ever been tickled in that hall. Because he brought in free of charge, uh, the Baptist from the University of Southern California and UCLA. 
When I fall black, I get pictures, I get everything. And I like the reaction on their faces there, get giveaways. Right. Well, after about six months there, something happened. One night my wife received a telephone call from a person in Hollywood and said, You better come down and get Patty. Throw them plates, get him. He's asleep in the middle of a fire and floor. So, Frank came down and he got me. Got in the car and the fire was on over the swing of path into the valley. I started coming through a little bit. And I noticed he didn't turn off the fire and front off. It goes down the highway. Going straight ahead. I said, hey, I'm going home. He said, no, you've forgotten. This is your night with a departure. I said, I can't go there. I'm drunk. Oh, yes, you are. So she drove me down there and this was consulting night. Some young doctor in there from the university. And I noticed out uh, at the back this young doctor, especially, was frightened. With my appearance and whatnot. So, this pleased me. So I grabbed him by the coat there, a handful of the coat down about the waist, and pulled his coat over to the pearl and grabbed that. I leered in his face, you know, laughed, and I picked him up and sat him on a table and said, Let me do it for you tonight, Doc. <laughs> well, the boy that was taking the money, he ran out from the lobby and he got to hold of Franny and said, uh, For God's sake, get him out of here. She says, Well, I just wanted to bring him over here. Because maybe he didn't tell you that drinking was his problem. <laughs> well, I sure stopped around that thing for six months. But I did have a wonderful time with these fellas. So last night, I was sorry to see it end. And once after that, the trouble came again. I knew that the factory was out. I decided I would find something high class. I found a high class sanitarium where they make uh, giddy abuse. Show you what it'll do and whatnot. And they give you a little gas treatment in between time with a mixture of carbon dioxide and oxygen. But if you temporarily feel all wound up, you take an aviator's mask and you put this on. You do it yourself. And when you pass out, your hand drops off. And this will give you the same feeling as blacking out. Only when you come through just a few seconds later, uh, you're all relaxed. The tension's on your neck and everywhere. And I thought this was a good idea, and the doctor did too, because this is the same as a blackout drunk. But there's only one thing wrong with this. If you do this, or you come out and you feel good. Now, drunk doesn't like that. When he comes out of a blackout, he wants to hurry his clothes a mess, find shoes all of them. Pardon me, we had a lovely second dinner night. And he wants to have his money and his watch gone and all that stuff. And you can't do it if you do it with this gas in your own home, so I don't know what that Then, I finally got to the point where uh, I just uh, knew that my periodic drunks were going to merge into one. And some people are afraid of death. I was afraid of the permanent blackout, which, let's say, insanity is, is the word. Things would be going on, I wouldn't remember. In fact, I could imagine myself being up at Camarillo there, which is rather close to that house that we got down there. And I'd be playing trivies, which I always loved to play, and I always made money. I'd be winning money from these fellows, and I wouldn't know it. And my wife would be spending my attention on some guy I wouldn't even know his name. Oh, it's too horrible to think of. So I knew I couldn't go on drinking. I knew they wouldn't fire me from the brewery because... But guys, I did sober up and worked like a dog and three times, and so I told him that I was going to resign. Call up Alcoholics Anonymous, I didn't think it would work. In fact, many times I'd come home without my car and a cab, and I'd have these pamphlets shoved in pockets and save you pamphlets in other pockets. And boy, I didn't want anything to do with religion. I figured that uh, some of the people I've known had been saved by religion. I mean, the drinking had, but I figured, well, now, bad guys, that might work on the drinking. But if it cured my drinking, <coughs> I probably wouldn't want to snap batteries anymore or anything. So religion was out. And then I thought, well, I always 
the party of alcoholics anonymous or even the slightest suggestion of it, I better look in so I call them. The people came over and saw me, stopped me, and I liked them. And I went to my first meeting out in Beverly Hills there, and I ran into some people that I drank with in the past. Some of them I never knew had a drinking problem. If they were, there they were in AA. Others I knew definitely had a drinking problem, but what I didn't know was that some of them hadn't been drinking for three, four, and five years. What's happened? But the big thing there was that instead of hiding all this stuff, there they were laughing and joking about it. And some of these things are pretty doggone grim. Just alike. Nobody was trying to shove religion down my neck. And I got a long time. For about four months, and then I had to go to work somewhere. So I got a nice selling job. I stopped going to AA meetings for a month. One night I decided to have some vodka. You know, that leaves you breathless and tenorous and everything else. Hit me faster than I've ever had before, and the four month layoff didn't help a bit. So then I knew what these boys were talking about when they said it's progressive. I went back the following night to an AA meeting. A lot of people that, uh, they call that a sweat, but there's no sweat in my vocabulary. That's about four weeks of premeditated thinking in order to get a drink down you. That's a sweat in my vocabulary. Maybe you can do it sooner in a week. Maybe it takes you longer six weeks. But anyhow, that's neither here nor there. I knew where I belonged, and I went back, and I wasn't the least bit ashamed. I like these people. Some of them are crazier than others, but that's not for me to judge. But I just love them all. Any degree they are along the ladder. I just thank God they're here helping themselves and helping me too. And since then, I've taken the heed there, and whenever they ask me to do something, I've been more than willing to do it. I've talked my fool head off, and I've picked up the people. The last one there was somebody I talked to down at Lincoln Heights. Jail, big bad feeling. Really? And uh, this fellow, I had to fire him once on one of these jobs when I was managing an apartment store. The guy was drinking too much. <laughs> and uh, here I meet him in the jail. He's since given up the clothing business and they're gone into welding and he was in jail because he'd wander away from these uh, honor farms, you know. And uh, so when he finally got 16 months and he was out, his wife called and he was getting drunk the first day out. Somebody put it his two weeks hotel bill. And, uh, I know if you got my wife on the phone, so, well, says, well, they can't do anything if he's drinking, or if he doesn't call him. So a couple of days later, he calls me, and I go down, and I get him out of the hotel. He's run up a few other bills there, and, uh, so I take him out to one of the places we sponsor out in the valley, uh, South Cap House for men. So I get him, get him all lined up in there, and while I'm in the back room paying the bill, get out, he's already left. So you have those things happen. Uh, first they bothered me, and now I realize that all I can do is what I can, or tell them about it, or lug them out to some place where they can talk AA, and if they want to walk out, well, that's their own business. <laughs> so no doubt the poor guy's back in the drug again. I don't know, but uh, that's the best place for him if he doesn't want to try AA. But for myself, as I told you, I found the place where I, I actually feel a part of, and it brought me back in society. But more importantly that, I love this way of life, trying to live a day at a time, which I never did. I was a dreamer, always finding the future and unhappy today, or cursing myself for stuff I did in the past. I do many things now that I did in the, in the past, but I don't trust myself anymore. I still fight verbally, sometimes physically, but not unnecessarily. And uh, I, for years, went around and here, even in this town. And the time police force to take me back to the hotel. You're not afraid you can't get arrested for being drunk in this town, because God knows I've tried. 
Thank you.